Do the trashy pulp novels of the world have anything to offer? Our bestseller is all they're cracked up to be. Here at Terrible Book Club, we explore whether you really can judge a book by its cover or its ridiculous synopsis. You ever passed a book and thought, ugh, who's reading this? We probably are. Welcome to episode 163 of the Terrible Book Club. I'm Paris, and this is Chris. Hello! This time, we read The Long Moonlight by Razor Fist, or Razor Fist. I, I don't know if that umlaut is supposed <laughs> really? to be pronounced. Well, we're already going to get into a lot of pronunciation <laughs> arguments here again, Paris. Don't start right now. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, the, the Long Moonlight <laughs> was published in 2020 by Dark Legion Books, an imprint of Castalia House. Uh, our patron Arant requested this one with just no explanation, so we just had no idea why this was requested <laughs> cool. or like what the deal was. So just just really rolling in somehow, even more unaware than than normal. Uh, neither of us have ever heard of Razor Fist, and we know nothing about them. So I don't know. Uh, so just a little caveat: we we generally try not to like research authors at all unless we feel it necessary for some reason. In this case, we actually got into an argument. So. Uh, I like Chris and I both had different perceptions of what was going on and uh, Chris was asking himself like okay if I knew how old this author was what age would they have to be for me to find this an acceptable work and I thought he was saying this is a child <laughs> who wrote this and I was like no it's an adult and so I found a single interview with DMR books last year um, and I think I saw literally just one line that was like, this dude's 30 something. And I was like, okay, it's an adult man. Um, and then, <laughs> That's all the, information and then really the need. interview with DMR uh, clarified that Razorfist just wanted to finish this story to prove to himself that he could finish something. And we both and like that it was never intended for publication. And it basically only got published through like, I don't know, a, just like kind of a, a silly series of events that was like, well, I didn't really submit this. Some, so I, I accidentally asked about published it. this book. I tripped and fell into a publisher. I don't know. <laughs> like it, it did seem very much that way. Uh, and we both felt that this was very much a draft or like a first attempt at a story. And so we were right. And it, it just made us feel better about the critique we're giving because it isn't yeah. a child writing this, which we were a little worried about at first, or I misinterpreted that. Um, and it was also not initially written for publication. So all things considered, um, yeah, we just wanted to get that out there. Just a little, yeah, little I mean, it's really setting up the listeners for what to expect here when we're like, listen, we we, we assumed that we might be picking on someone who is underage here. So we needed but, to check. But first. they aren't. He is an adult in his 30s. Yes. I know nothing more about him. I specifically just put my little, my little horse blinders on, <laughs> just read what I needed to read. All right. If this is your first time listening to the show, what we do here at the Terrible Book Club is we read books that we assume will be bad based on their cover, title, summary, or some combination of the three. Uh, sometimes, though, like today, we just read a book that our patrons, listeners, or friends recommend. 
So we do the opposite of what most people do when they're in a bookstore or while they're browsing the internet, and typically this experiment results in a hilarious and disappointing read, but once in a while we do actually end up liking the book. Uh, Before we continue, please keep in mind that in addition to our usual barnyard language, today's episode includes discussion or mention of grouping and sexualization of women and general fantasy violence, so nothing too crazy today. All right, Chris, do you want to read the uh, back of the book summary? Like, what's what's supposed to draw you in to the long moonlight? You got it. Manuvia, a sparkling gem made rough stone, the seat of political power in the kingdom of Vale. Revolt forments among the patrician class, and open gang war looms on the horizon. As the Argentine Tower plots revolution, a lone thief with a past as dark as Manuvia itself picks the wrong lock and opens the wrong door. Shadows still cast in the dark of night underneath the long moonlight, featuring a series of original illustrations. Razorfist was born and raised in Phoenix, Arizona. He produces several web series, including Film Noirchives, Metal Mythos, and the popular Rageaholic Review and Commentary series. Prior to that, he studied journalism and political science at the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism and Mass Communications. The Long Moonlight is his first published novel. I don't know. Do we do we need to talk to this dude about heavy metal or something, or is metal used in a different sense there? I don't. I don't know. Thank you, Chris. Uh, all right. So our characters and setting. Uh, Chris, do you want to? I'm, I'm I'm trying to decide. Do you want to read these, or do you want me to? Um. Yeah, I can keep reading these. All right. Why don't you uh, give us the characters and setting then? Okay, we got Zerdi's nuts. Ha <laughs> ha Got him. God damn it, Chris. <laughs> you walked right in it by letting me say the character name. I didn't even read. I didn't even look at the sheet. I was not paying enough attention. This is my fault. I deserved that. Continue. <laughs> so wait, wait, wait. Are we agreeing that the pronunciation is Zerdi's? Yeah. What else could it possibly be? Okay, I'm just checking. I don't know. We always have this disagreement about fantasy name pronunciation. Maybe you thought it was like Zerdes or something. I don't know. Like... <laughs> well, no, because Xerxes is a name. So so uh, if you yes. replace the X with a D, logically, you would pronounce it the same way. Uh, yes, that's that's also what I thought. Anyway, he's like a level 20 rogue. That's basically what, what this dude is up to. At level 20. And level is level 20 the highest level in 5th uh, yes. edition? Or, yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. So really, really, really expert. Yes. Uh, then you have, okay, so we're probably going to disagree on this one. Saris? Nope, Saris. It's it's just me, but with an S. Yeah. <laughs> it's just Saris. <laughs> Snaky Paris. Uh, she's a barbarian class, like level 10, I guess. Somewhere uh, around maybe, there, mid-tier. Maybe 12. I don't know. I might give her a little more credit than yeah. 10, but sure. Generally, pretty good barbarian. Uh, then we have Cy Welliver, who is sort mm-hmm. of the first crime boss that Xerdes works for. Then he eventually works for Rolf Eggenston, who is a bigger crime guy. So Cy was the smaller guy. He's like middle management crime boss. But Rolf it, it does bigger heists. So Xerdes ends up working for him uh, to do some heists. And then we also have Inspector Coggins, fantasy cop, who's here to just kind of look at crime scenes and be like, hmm. Or is stabby over here? Yeah, somehow we're entering another week where we have like a fucking Law and Order dun dun in the middle of our book. Because this happened, I think for no reason. Yeah, by for the way. no like, reason. I don't th- <laughs> <laughs> it's just, 
happening. All right. Um, do you want to read the summary or would you like me to? Yes. I will read the summary since you were the one that wrote it this time. All right. So I feel like that's the fair way to do it. Chris is going to go ahead and give you a very, very high level overview plot summary. Just so as we're discussing the book, you understand the basic things that happened and sort of how characters interacted. Again, it's not every detail, but it's like enough, enough so that you don't have to read it <laughs> to hear us talk about it. Go ahead, Chris. Xerdes is such a cool guy and amazing thief. He bests everyone in combat and strategy because he's just so cool and smart and funny. And he has a heart of gold to boot because, like, what thief cares about anything? So cool. Enemy to lovers lady Saris arrives and she's just so hot because she's pale and blonde and blue-eyed and tall and cut. Xerdes tangles with the two rival thief factions in town and eventually teams up with one because of a promised payout that's enough to retire. He is double-crossed, and the rival faction leaders work together when it interests them, which Xerdes is surprised by for some reason. The crime lords have completely bought the city police slash investigators, so their crimes are always covered up and there's never enough evidence to follow. Coggins the inspector isn't bought, though, because he is a very good guy and he's figuring things out. Xerdes steals the payment he didn't get from both rival thief factions, which gets Saris tortured and killed because he needs someone to avenge, even though they only fucked for like a week. But that's fine. Just don't worry about it. That's that's enough. We, that's all you need for it to be a revenge fantasy after that. Mm-hmm. He turns the burner up on the rival thief gang war by making them think they were each attacked by each other rather than Xerdes. So every night becomes a bloodbath until eventually even regular ass townspeople are looting and setting things on fire. This is The Long Moonlight, because we had to explain our title. Also, I guess it's fine for hundreds of women to be brutalized and raped and murdered for his cause because his methods are in pursuit of justice for Saris or something? Rings pretty hollow, but okay. Xerdes sends each crime lord a forged letter that he has to waste a page on to tell us again that they were forgeries and takes us with him as he delivers them. Riveting stuff. Anyway, the letters bring both of the crime lords to a meeting where Xerdes has arranged the city guard to attack and take them in. The crime lords die, and Xerdes, of course, escapes and wins the day. He throws his riches into the fire and states that all of this was pointless and suggests justice isn't possible while he melts into the night very thiefily. <laughs> the end. Thank you, Chris. Uh, obviously, that was pretty tongue-in-cheek. Uh, appreciate it. Appreciate it. All right. Uh, so, as we normally do, let us begin with the things that were good about this book or anything that we enjoyed. I uh, I guess I'll start because the first one is mine. Um, footnotes with lore. I love, I love me a footnote. I didn't think the, like, lore was super, but the idea was there. I, like, I love a Paris footnote. noted foot person. I love, it. no, a footnote. <laughs> I love a footnote, not a foot. The, f- <laughs> like, I just, man, I don't know. I think I just have, I just have, like, weird academia brain. And I just, I just love a footnote. I don't know. It's my favorite way to cite things in a work. I don't. It's my favorite way to. It's like a fun surprise, you know, especially electronically. You just like click the little button and you're like, ooh, a fact. And then you go back. I just, I really like, (laughs) I really like when it's incorporated in fiction. Um, I've read several books where this has been done successfully and it's a good idea. I just think it's a good idea. Authors to stick with it. Chris feels differently. I disagree (laughs) very strongly on that. Probably because I don't want to feel like I'm in fucking school. When I'm reading a fantasy novel, man, like, to me, the footnote, yes, is for academic style stuff before I'm reading a book that is, you know, some kind of study or looking at a a broader topic. In my fiction, I don't really need the footnotes 
because if it's fiction, you should be weaving that detail and world building into the narrative itself. Well, so uh, I, well, to me, it just feels like all of a sudden I'm studying. I mean, I understand if you're somebody who has, you know, academic phobia at this point in your life. Uh, but I think that footnotes can serve as a good device in fiction because, I mean, especially in something like this, it's a short work. You know, we're talking a novella here. You know, there are things that might be good context for us that the author doesn't feel like they need to weave in at the time. I think a longer work, sure, but I don't know, man. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna stake my little flag on the hill of footnotes. Hard disagree mm. on you there. I'm tearing that flag down. It's not not fun in in a fantasy novel. That de- if it if it's not worth enough to put into a story, especially a shorter story like this, then I don't care what like yeah how you named Ill- you know what i'll be honest with you paris i didn't read any of the footnotes because i was so against it that i was like i don't need any well, of this extra i did detail. i did say i didn't think the the lore was great but again the idea of <laughs> footnotes good chris disagrees no. but for me they were nope good. um next up the illustrations were great for the most part i don't know who did them if it was razor fist cool good work man uh chris says except the saurus one i don't really remember why that one was bad it just uh, it just looks a little lower rent than the rest of them. I would agree that most of the other illustrations are nice. They're in this very sort of I don't know pencil style. Yeah, I guess you could say. Yeah, they're they're good. It it feels kind of like an old D and D illustration, right, which yeah. vibes with the you know the feeling of the story. So I I did enjoy that. Just so, let's let's just say that the Saris one looked extra like a character portrait that a player drew for themselves when they just aren't mm. quite amazing. I see. at art. I I would argue that I think this actually I think uh, a few additional illustrations would have improved this uh, somewhat because it is fun to see fantasy things you know given given some kind of imagery so uh, yeah they were good i think you could have could have thrown in thrown in a few more uh Terrible book club more illustrations please. <laughs> well yeah sometimes um i think in general the sentences were coherent it seems like there was some care given to spelling syntax typos i only saw like three major mistakes um so in terms of readability this was very readable it was not one of those books where chris and i were like feeling like we were going mad because we just couldn't read a sentence and like understand anything that has happened many times on this show. So it was good that that was not the case. We always got to call authors out and let them know that, hey, we appreciate that you can actually string words together in a way that doesn't confuse us. Yeah. And uh, it did seem, like I said, there were only a handful of errors overall. And I think there was, it looked like there was some care given to um, general, general editing. So, yeah, that uh, that was the end of my list. Chris, did you have anything else you liked or thought was good about this before we move on? Not really. I mean, the commendable stuff, I think, falls into the discussion we're inevitably going to have later. Yeah, about, we'll, we'll wrap um, up with this that. This being someone's first work. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll wrap up with that. So, okay. Uh, so we are going to move to things that we didn't like so much or thought were bad. Um, I don't know, Chris, do you want to take this first one or do you want me to? I mean, this is the core thing in this. Like, this is such a cliche fest 
as you put it in the notes here, it's not even D&D 101. It's remedial D&D <laughs> for people that haven't quite grasped how to make the, those settings interesting. It's just you're putting like the, the stock characters up in there just to get the feel for how this works. I mean, you know, as a DM myself, it's hard to build a world that is compelling. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I didn't publish my work here. It was just a fun thing to do with my friends for the most part. Um, it it really does feel like you the extra college course to get a fantasy writer up and running. Like you must submit this at the end. Just like put the basic pieces together. There's a, a main character protagonist with an extremely shallow motivation, and a couple of other characters around that are there to you know roll d20s at. Yeah, I mean, this is like, if you failed session zero, this is where you end up. Like, if you if you couldn't even get that character sheet completed, like, this is... Your grading session at D&D &D College, we session zero is a graded thing. I failed my, my early admissions. I got to take remedial D&D &D now. <laughs> Would it be university? It's a night class, man. I got shit to do. Would it be a university college, though? That's the question. <laughs> Yeah, true. I, it's um whatever uh whatever a uh, a uh, uh, wizard college is an Arcanum. I don't know. Um. Any anyhow, yeah. I mean, I think we talk a lot about how much we dislike tropes on the show, and I think I think the thing we hate more is when tropes become cliches and render a story very dull and predictable because they are clumsily applied, and that is how this felt. You know, we've got, you know, the main character, he's he's a jerk with a heart of gold. He's the best at his job and innately talented. Um, we've got a token romance. The only woman in the story defaults to a plot device and mandated love interest. She is, like, immediately fetishized. Like and, and, like, yeah. And, and of course, she also must be brutally murdered and, and, like, revenged by the main character. You've got rival factions. You've got, you know, kind of general fantasy stuff, like... There's a lot of things in here that are just things in real life, but slightly renamed. Like, there's cocaine, but it's named, I don't know, like, Thromatabine, or I forget what it is. I wrote it down somewhere. <laughs> it has a stupid name. There's, like... Ask your doctor about Thromatabine. <laughs> you know what it's for. You know what it's for. It's going up your nose. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's... Uh, with Sarah, she's, she's supposed to be from this particular tribe. It's clearly just supposed to be, you know, an, an analog for, like, Nordic peoples. It's just not... I, I just don't Name think... one defining character feature about Saris that isn't barbarian. Uh, or her physical appearance. Um... What is her personality, Paris? I could not tell you. There is no evidence of what? her personality. <laughs> no, I mean, it's funny, but it's also true. She does, she does not exist to be a character. She exists as a plot device. <laughs> she exists as an object in the story in every sense of the word. Um, and, you know, this is just a microcosm of, of uh, all the other characters and, like, why they're a problem. Uh, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, taking things in real life and just renaming them or using this this very samey fantasy setting is just not fun to me. I know some people find, you know, diving into something familiar comforting, but I don't know. For me, it's just fucking boring, man. I just I just need more. Yeah, like what, I need more of my work. If you've read enough fantasy material at this point, what is in here that would be interesting? Except, I guess, if you are really specifically into, like, a rogue from a D&D &D game adventuring. Like, if, if you want to read someone else's, you know, five-session plotline that they did, that's kind of what this feels like, to be honest with you. Yeah, so... Not stoked about the plot and the characters. 
Uh, next up, we've got the writing. Uh, so I know we we said that you know it was like put together in such a way that it was coherent and seemed like there was some care given to editing. However, we've got a serious serious uh, case of thesaurus abuse and purple prose. Like this is when poor thesaurus ugh, man. No, I mean the poor story. The thesaurus has been hitting it so hard that it's purple from all the beatings. <laughs> you know, this poor thing. You know the writing. A lot of the time, the writing doesn't feel organic and instead comes across as trying too hard to sound eloquent when less verbosity would serve the work better. I'm just gonna read some examples here. Unless Chris, you would like to. You can do a few. I did the summary, okay. so why don't you take a few here? So, <clears throat> example one. Noting their proclivities had become a preoccupation since Zerdes had set up shop in the posh Cloventine district, and while he hadn't done nearly as much mapping of its wards and byways as he perhaps should, it seemed the compulsions of the rich were not unique to his native Gilvain quarter, where the residents abided in filth and squalor. At this point, the only real difference he'd noted was a more pleasant aroma upon stepping outside. Man, if I gotta take a breath at every comma in your sentence, like, it's, you know, I should I should pause without having to breathe. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I, I call that place the Glavin Quarter because it just seemed funnier to Glavin, me. Yeah. I just imagined a, 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 an entire district of Professor Franks. Uh, yeah, so it's just, it's sort of, you know, why did we have to say all of that? Why did that sentence need to have six clauses? You know, I, I don't know. All right, ne- next example. <clears throat> rows upon rows of what looked like exotic wines and liquors, cradled in wooden shelving, cast shadowy crisscrosses upon his stealthy advancing frame, providing unwitting camouflage for the cut purse's approach. Am I okay. trying becradled to. Like, <laughs> am I trying to break. Right the fuck out. Yeah, becradled is really what got me there, but like, is this is. Okay, this feels a lot like. Um. You know, write the the uh, the speed version. Yes. <laughs> I just gotta keep writing words. Gotta... The more words I put down, the, like if I stop writing any words, <laughs> so I'm gonna just do the whole like you know we're in remedial D and D, and the professor said you had to turn in a story that was at least you know three thousand words. <laughs> yeah. So you really just gotta start writing more and more out here. Really, I mean, really, he's trying to be flowery about everything. Well, Zerdes was being sneaky, and he was in the shadows. Yeah, and and I and I'm not saying that you shouldn't be artistic in your descriptions, but there is a point at which you just don't need that many ab- adjectives, descriptions, or clauses for a single idea. It's just not worth anyone's time. Especially you can leave the shadowy crisscrosses, like but like stealthily advancing frame is also that's you're just trying to say it, it's a guy that is. Can your can your frame be advancing? Usually, when we're talking about frames, it's like a physical description. We don't use it to describe a moving thing, right? Like, no, I mean you you can. I mean, the, generally, frame is a synonym for like the human kind of skeletal structure. So I think it's sure, okay. But like, to the, use. the use of it here is awkward, right? Like, am I alone in that? Yeah, you are, because that's a that's a common. Like, I've seen right. it before, but it 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 doesn't help the awkwardness of the rest of it. Let's put it sure. that way. Anyway, next up we have <clears throat> this is this one might be my favorite. Mm, I'm gonna I'm gonna really savor this one. <laughs> he was lost in thought as his eyes danced upon the decaying cheesecake colored flesh of a recently deceased apparent transient, splayed like some cannibalistic holiday spread across a chilly stone examination table. Why? Why? Why could we not have just said 
he was lost in thought staring at the recently deceased transient uh splayed like a cannibalistic holiday spread we could have just said that we could have just said that yeah the addition of the chili stone table i guess is a little extra sensory information that i don't so i guess the the here's the cutoff here right the inclusion of the chili stone table there, does that add anything to the atmosphere that the table was cold? No, and it also you also don't need to say decaying cheesecake-colored flesh of a recently deceased apparent transient. You could say, like, obviously, if they're decaying and it's an investigator looking at it, I don't know that you need to say examination table. And, like, if you're going to say examination table, I don't know if you need to say that it's recently deceased like you know there's there's just like an, an overlay of ex of redundant description there where just choosing one of them would have sufficed like either you're going to focus on hey i want you to know like the more important thing is it's the investigator or is the more important thing how fucked up the body looks i would say it's probably how fucked up the body looks i actually think cannibalistic holiday spread is great amazing yes. description Yes, but it's yes. fucking buried in cheesecake-colored flesh and chili examination table and apparent transient. Like I can't get to the the delicious cannibal holiday spread. <laughs> so specifically, the word apparent uh, there is also I feel unnecessary. Absolutely. Uh, so in any case, yeah, just we're just we're just getting a little carried away here, and we are not trimming our descriptions to the most important. Um, aspects of them i'm going to talk about cheesecake again later moving on <laughs> um <laughs> all right uh chris do you want to read the next one it's like a longer passage or do you, would you like me to do it how about you do by the time and i'll do saris's healthy pallor okay <clears throat> by the time zerdus scampered across the bridge guards were already testing their boots against the guardhouse door <sighs> another foolproof plan saris gasped feeling for the haft of her sword. Some things I play smooth. Others, I play like a limestone quarry. And this time you fell on the quarry? Another vicious blow to the door. The hinges groaned for mercy while the top corner began bending inward. Then grab a pickaxe, because so did you. Xerdes knocked a regular broadhead arrow and bent the drawstring back, unerring aim trained at the doorway, anticipating of the inevitable attack. The impacts came closer together now, focused and ferocious. But just before the door bent over double and dealt death to the both of them, the sound of sword clashes came ringing from the other side of the stairs. Whoever had been battering their way in, someone had returned the favor. It was the only way out for either of them, regardless. So the thieves stood stalwart, weapons drawn, and prepared for fresh doom. The din intensified. Screams rent the night, wavered, and were extinguished. The door shuddered for a moment and then stumbled inward like a one-legged drunk. Beyond the verge stood row after row of swarthy swordsmen, dusky-haired, filthy, and evidently effective. For a small army of guardsmen lay slain at their feet. I'd let that bowstring have a rest were I in your position, a flinty voice bellowed at their back. The men parted shoulder, and from afar at their back emerged a mountain of a man, one Zerdes hazily realized he'd seen before. Bald, sharp-featured with dark eyes and a broad mustache spilling out from beneath a pointed nose. Cyrus Welliver. He purred with a smug nod. No charge for the rescue. So, I picked that passage because it had a little bit of, like, description that wasn't 
super interesting and was just kind of like, okay, I don't care. But also, what the fuck was happening with the dialogue at the beginning of that passage, Chris? I don't know. Another foolproof plan. Some things I play smooth. Others I play like a limestone quarry. And this time you fell in the quarry. Then grab a pickaxe because so did you. I... So, okay. <laughs> I, I mean, all right, so is... Okay, so Paris, fuck? it's like you're... Uh, uh, he's the quarry? Or or Saris is the quarry? Mm. No, Xerdes is the quarry, and no, she no, should no, no, grab no. a pickaxe <sighs> to chisel him? No, I think... I just don't understand some things I play smooth, others I play like a limestone quarry. Like... Yes, I understand that limestone because is a limestone rock. Because the limestone quarry is rough. It's, it's rough. It's a real. And... It's a real. It's a real limestone quarry of a piece of dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but so that, yeah, it's so Zerdes is the rough quarry. No, Zerdes fell Saris, into the quarry. Zerdes. No, he is the quarry because he's rough. <laughs> he he played this one rough. And therefore, Saris should grab her pickaxe. To mine him and sm- smooth him out? No, no. The idea is he fucked up, and it was so bad that they fell into a quarry and had to climb out with pickaxes. But it's just a really labored thing to throw. <laughs> like it doesn't, it doesn't naturally, I think, come to one's mind. Like what the fuck they're talking about? It's just a really strange choice. Um, anyhow, I, you can go ahead and read the last example for this section if you'd like. Okay. Saris's healthy pallor made her iridescent in the firelit gleam of Xerdes's hovel. Even beneath the billowing cape and cowl, her alluring build was impossible to camouflage. The kind three sizes bigger above and below the waist, but inexplicably estranged from feminine frailty. Ashen blue eyes pondered her compatriot's proposal. She said more with nothing than priests say in twelve sermons. Xerdes filled the silence. If the answer is no, he began, we never speak of it again and meet as strangers the rest of our lives. She ruminated for a moment that felt like fifty. I'm not sure this is possible at this point, Xerdes. Saying no, or she stepped from the firelight and pulled deliberately close, closer than they'd been, even in combat, even that night with her knife caressing his throat, close enough to know unspoken secrets and to tell a few as well. Or anything but strangers now. He looked her over, and his eyes said things his mouth didn't. I asked because in this business, it's hard to make a living when you're honest, and even harder to keep living at all. Is that what you are now? She asked. Honest? Terminal. She pulled away, traversing the room and encroaching upon the table. She pulled back, and her hood tumbled to her shoulders. A torrent of blonde burst from beneath. Xerdes let himself stare. She leaned back against the table's edge and posed for it. She gave him a look that would stop a stampede. Xerdes found himself wanting to approach the table and did. Is that a yes? He asked. He found that without intending it, he now loomed over her lurid against the table's edge. Her pallor intensified and she seemed to strain as he pressed against her. She looked like she could take the strain. Convince me, she whispered. Their bodies collided, their lips touched, and all at once he was adrift in a sea of rose petals and hemlock. Thank, thank you, Chris, for getting through that <laughs> awful passage. I'm definitely putting some, like, saxophones behind <laughs> oh, there. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so anyway, I mean, that's just co- sort of the very, 
you know, super stereotypical. Even the romance like, stuff romance just stuff, feels yeah. like, you know, a parody of a romance scene. Right, yeah. She's leaning against the table and posing at him. And he's like, like you know, oh, her hood came off and I saw her pretty lady here. Wow, she sure is small in the waist, <sighs> but got the big hips. And the li- and the, I love the line of like, if not, then we meet the meet again as strangers. It's like, oh, how many times has that line why? been used? <laughs> oh, yes. And also why? Yeah, like, I don't get it. I, yeah, it's, ugh, anyway. He's already the type of guy that's like, well, she rejected me, and therefore I can't hang out with her anymore. So if we meet again, I'm just going to pretend I don't know you. I mean, obviously. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, he he leans in. What if he leaned in and he was like, "Would you like to see Zerdi's nuts?" That's oh, the second one there if, for you. If only. Uh, all right. So thank you. We're gonna move on now. Remember, I said I was gonna talk about cheesecake again. We're back. Cheesecake's back. So both uh, the phrases "cheesecake colored" and "photographic memory" appear in this book, and I just like when you're writing something in a specific setting, you need to think. Do these turns of phrases make sense? Do these references fit with my realm I'm creating here? Because I think in most fantasy worlds, I don't think there's cheesecake or photographs. So it's like, I'm not saying there can't be. You can have cheesecake. That's that's not like some, you know, fancy modern technology. It's not. But I think that, would it, like, would it be called cheesecake? You know, like, you know, I, I just think if you're going to... Why, why not? If you're going to go and rename everything that's in the real world anyway, like... Okay, fair enough. Why not? Yeah, you know? So, I don't know. It should so be... So, I just think, you know, some... To flagman. It's the to flagman cake. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's sweet cheese. Like, that would have been fine. You know, anything else. In any case, I just think you know, the photographic memory especially, it's not that... I'll agree with it's that. It's not that a fantasy world can't have these things. It's just that... Uh, if you're building a very stereotypical fantasy world, and then you're like, ah, cheesecake and photographs. It's like, wait, what? You didn't, you didn't set me up to think that those things were part of this. So, you know, again, it's just taking care with phrases and making sure you're not dragging in things that are uh, too modern or from the wrong era, because it, it does really make your reader pause and go, huh? Like when I read photographic memory, I was like, what? There's photographs. <laughs> photographic memory, I'll what? agree with. <laughs> like. But I think cheesecake I can let pass just because, you know, it's not like we had to invent the steam engine before cheesecakes could happen or something like that. And if you're going to give him crap for just renaming things like cocaine, as we said before, then cheesecake is fine being normal to me, too, because like it's, it feels unnecessary to rename. No, I don't. I don't agree. I disagree. I think. um I, well, the problem, though, is that cheesecakes require refrigeration. So, yeah, maybe we don't need the steam engine, but we need a way to easily refrigerate things in homes. And, like, I didn't get the impression that we had electricity in this world. Or, I mean... Frost spells. Ice spells. Maybe. Maybe ice. Maybe they have... The pearls The pearls that he stole were for cheesecake refrigeration. <laughs> yes. that's. <laughs> they are described as sort of like, you know, having some sort of fancy colors about them and perhaps they're ice pearls that you know you can finally enjoy all the luxurious cheesecake that you can out there yeah so anyway i think that i still think that it would require some kind of there would you would have to do something to make my brain not go huh you know before i encounter those particular phrases or items that that's all i mean all right next let's talk about horse shit just 
Man, this is what this is the part of the uh, podcast where I'm going to say, just say it. Just fucking say what you mean. Just say it. There is a weird prancing about the more crass and direct terminology, which just feels as though the author is trying desperately to be cooler than you. And guess what? Guess what, friends? I can unfortunately confirm this because this is how I used to write when I was between 14 and 18 and thought longer sentences and bigger and more obscure words meant good writing. It does not. It's confusing to me why he would dance around the crass stuff like that when there's tons of gore in here. People are holding their guts like all the time. People just can't keep the guts in at all. He's fine with that. So what's wrong with just saying shit? I think he does say shit at some point, too. I don't... I don't think so? I, I could have missed it, okay. um, but I, I don't remember that. So, yeah. I do remember the dancing around. This is this is just a problem that, you know, again, because I myself fell victim to this, I feel like I can speak with fair amount of authority. It's what happens when you just want to feel cooler and smarter than people around you, and you think the way to do that is by writing like what you think what you have imagined is to be the most elevated and most intelligent you know writing you've ever seen which is usually a bunch of rich academic white dudes waxing poetic about (laughs) shit um and you learn to emulate that writing you know because you've seen it in i don't know german philosophy or you know the the marquis de sade or whatever marquis de sade would say shit fuck though um you know or some other uh some other I'm venue. the Marquis de Sade. Shit and fuck. I said it. Goodbye. Well, I mean, you know, he he is uh, he is quite a crass one, but in any case, uh, yeah, this is this is just a, an unfortunate side effect of consuming certain types of media, uh, and you know, I. I also I think it smacks of someone that wants to seem like the smartest person in yeah, the world. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. And so, I mean, I hope that. I don't know, man. I hope I'm wrong. But like I said, because I used to be this way myself, I feel like I'm right about this. And you got to do... <laughs> you got that smell. Yeah, you know what it's like. You got to do a little soul searching and have a little more life experience with people who are different from you, I think, before you kind of grow out of that. Um, so, and, you know, and we all grow at different rates. So, you know, maybe this author will get a little more experience and fancy f- or fix up the writing, excuse me. Uh, but I, I also, you know, there's always, always a chance I could be wrong, but that is how it strikes me. Um, The smirking. Please make the smirking stop, Chris. Please, the smirking. I do... No, how I am I supposed to let you know that my character is cool and above it all if I if they can't smirk? That's the only way I know how to I counted the so, smirks. I counted the smirks. Nine smirks and 125 pages. <laughs> <laughs> Nine smirks. My smirk counter is up to, to almost double-digit smirk counter I just here. think... I, look, I know it doesn't seem like nine and 20, 125 pages is a lot, but... When it's in a, such a short work and you never describe your that character's face any other way, it's always smirking. We, and this is not the first <laughs> Listen, book this has a, happened in. It's a genetic thing. I some it just goes that way like fifty percent of the time. I can't help it. This is not the first book who that has been you know smirkaholic. Like it's a, it's a problem with writers sometimes. They just get really into a particular facial description and then it appears in their work like 15 times and it's it's so frustrating when you're reading you're like oh man i wish i knew anything about this person but all i all i keep imagining is just because again they're cool and above it all yeah 
Paris is making faces in the Discord <laughs> uh, video here, just so the listeners can understand what's also, happening. Also, I think, well, yeah, it's too bad we weren't uh, doing this on Twitch because I'm also wearing a like medieval hooded cowl because there was a beam of sunlight hitting me in the eye on the head and I didn't want to get a sunburn. So very thematic for today. Yeah. Uh, Plus two against getting blinded by the sun coming in through your window. Yeah, don't, don't do that. Similarly to the smirking, uh, there's anytime there's a violent scene where someone's getting cut, some like I said before, someone's guts fall out of their stomach. It feels like that's the one gory description that this author knew about. And I think if you're going to be violent and gory and your whole attitude or vibe when you're writing the story is that kind of grim dark thing, then just get a little bit more creative with the gore descriptions yeah, instead sure. of just like the, then their guts fell out and they had to hold them in their hands. Mm-hmm. Feels like that's the one move this guy had. I don't know. Like I remember reading Red Harvest. Uh, I know you didn't read that one, Paris, but that one was a great example of all different kinds of gory descriptions where there's like, there's other body parts that can have horrible things happening to them. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So I guess what we're saying not just the stomach. You know, more more shit. More fuck. <laughs> More, more, more like, I don't know, arms getting severed or like toes getting ripped off or I don't know, butts if getting hollowed If you're going out, to do like... the edgy grim dark thing, yeah, yeah. Do, like really turn that up to 11 and be creative about it. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I agree. Thanks for noticing that because I think, I think all the smirks covered up all the guts for me somehow. <laughs> yeah, that's what you notice. You're quantifying smirks out here and I'm just like, wow, that's a lot of guts that people are holding there. Um. All right, so we're we're almost to the end of uh, the things that we thought needed some work. Uh, we talked a little bit about this at the beginning, but just the plot overall. I mean, the book didn't make me care about the characters at all. There's not enough time spent with them at their core, with their inner thoughts, on their background, or even their imme- or even their reactions in the situations we're seeing that give me insight into anything. I really do feel like it's store brand fantasy novel, right? Like <laughs> yeah. this is Walgreens nice brand uh, fantasy. Nice. It's got the fantasy. You know, the, it's <laughs> like, it's so got that flavor there. You know, there's like the, you know we're doing some thiefy stuff and people have swords and there's uh, guards that you have to get past to get the treasure. That's it's all there. Just buy it's you know it's it's a little cheaper. It, you know, it's it's the one next to the, I guess, fantasy Cheez-Its in the same aisle. And this is Cheese Things or, you know, baked cheese the cracker cheese next to it. Oh, I like Cheese Things. Yeah, I, I also like Cheese Things. If there's no cheese it's about, I will, I'll try a Cheese Thing. But in this case, uh, like you said, Paris, I, I don't have a reason to care about Zerdes unless, again, unless you're really into power, fantasy, thiefy D&D stuff which I can't vibe with ever. Like, the stuff where it's just a character who is super good at everything and the only adversity they face is because someone else around them was weaker and, like, got fucked with and they have to do their revenge thing, but they're going to do revenge good because they're always great at what they do. I don't understand why that's an interesting story to read. Even the animes 
where it like that is most of the story is man is strong and has to get stronger to save his friends with the power of friendship. They at least, you know, get knocked down a few pegs here yeah. and there and they're not winning everything else. like Goku from Dragon Ball Z. He is one of the strongest people out there, but it's not like in every episode he just automatically defeats everyone. The entire DBC storyline is Goku isn't strong enough, so he has to practice and train to save his friends, which is at least something. It's at least something. Yeah, there I mean, we get we get just a whiff of a background into Zerdes to explain this, and it seems like he was maybe uh forcibly conscripted into a thieving gang by I think Wolf Egginston who he didn't know was related to Rolf Egginston, which I found hilarious. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I just they, it's literally just one letter different in their names too, right? Think, Rolf and Wolf. Is it Wolf? I I could be misremembering, but they're they, they have the same last names and their first names are very similar. And he's like, oh yeah, they also look identical. Uh, it's like oh, okay, I, <laughs> I don't know. Never really. I listen. Low int score. Yeah. I, I really, it's the dumb stat for me. <laughs> yeah. Um. You know. Uh. Sorry. Sorry, I got a little side little sidetrack there. Um Yeah, so we get a we get a whiff of his backstory and it seems like he was sort of uh I don't know if he was just like an orphan who got sort of enslaved, indentured, servituded to this thief gang. It doesn't really it's, even play into the plot though, right? Because no. even though it's that guy's brother, it's not like that guy's brother is like, well, you owe me because my right. brother saved right. you one time. And, which is like a very basic tie-in that you could at least throw in here to sort of weave the backstory yeah. into you know what's happening here or make add some depth here. I don't care about the heist for the pearls no. because you know, Why? just so he can retire, like that's not a compelling... I don't care if Zodis can retire or not. Yeah, it... I don't care about the thief pension fund and the lack of. Yeah, we're not. Stop thieving. We're not five. Ste- we're not five. Stealing shit. <laughs> we're not five books into Malazan, and I like. I'm not. I haven't <laughs> developed a relationship with this character enough to give a fuck about whether he retires or dies in front of me. Uh, in fact, I I actually was hoping he would die in front of me because this just felt boring. He's not like a nice guy. He's not really like interesting to watch because again, because he just does the thing yeah. all the time. And like he, he he's always picking the lock open and he's he does he even get injured even ever? I don't uh he gets he gets drugged and knocked out once. That's it. Yeah, but never an injury. No. Anyway, you know, actually continuing on this theme of like Zerdes, who cares? Man, the ending sucks shit. The character, like, Zerdes voluntarily throws away his wealth and realizes, well, well, I've caused untold suffering, but eh, nothing matters anyway. Ha ha, okay, bye, peace. (laughs) Like, like, what? (laughs) So how long were... You got the impression that Zerdes and Saris were, like, only at it for a week before she got tortured and yeah it was not a long period of time i mean maybe it it was wasn't a long period maybe it was a few weeks maybe have been a couple of months what months okay maybe but still it does it does not seem at all like they had built a life together or anything like that by the time that that happens he's in the same hovel i'm assuming they're doing the same shit like whatever they were doing so it's like what why is this one lady that you had been with for a week? I mean, I guess they've been doing missions before and they're sure they like each other, but why is that your motivation to then throw the payout, the whole reason you were doing these heists 
away. Let me. Oh, and also, why would you uh, incite the intensifying of a gang war to the point where other women are being brutally raped and tortured and murdered daily to make up for one well, person? I- they're not the one that was fucking Zerdy. So if all the women were fucking Zerdy's, maybe he would have given the money to a fantasy women's shelter <laughs> or something instead of just fucking throwing it. Like he burned it or threw yeah. it in the river. Yeah, he just threw it into like a, fl- a fire. And I was like, this is terrible. Um, I will like, okay, just to give you some perspective, John Wick was able to make me give more of a shit about a puppy that was on screen for 10 minutes than like this book did about Saris and that relationship. Like, I'm sorry. I, there is just no world in which (coughs) like, yes, obviously what theoretically happened to Saris was terrible. And I think any reasonable person would want some sort of revenge, but the, it's such a disproportionate, (laughs) revenge compared to the quote-unquote relationship as described in the book and then for it would be one thing if we knew Zerdes as like kind of a hothead who let things get out of hand but the book actually tells us he's the opposite he seems pretty careful and thiefy and does not put himself in situations that he feels like he can't get out of or that are uh you know perhaps over overwrought and yet here we are and he's caused a small civil war and he only realizes at the very end that he has done this and then says, well, I guess I've caused a civil war uh, and the only thing I have to show for it, I suppose I'll throw that away too. What? It's baffling. Why? It is baffling. I do not understand his motivations. And, you know, I get that, um, you know, we we on the Terrible Book Club, we enjoy our sort of more ambiguous or maybe morally gray endings. We love those here. We we don't always love, we really hate the happy ending. Um, but this is this was more like you didn't help us feel as though justice wasn't possible. You just decided that was so and ran away. And it was <laughs> just Zerdy says justice not possible because I started a civil war. You know all that's bad stuff that's been happening that makes it seem like justice isn't a thing? Well, it's my fault, <laughs> but also I guess it's not possible because I did it. Just no Zerdy's. no Me. responsibility taken, nothing learned, just nothing matters. Haha, <laughs> okay, bye. All right. Sure. Great. Awesome. <sighs> so, I guess <laughs> I guess we'll see you later, Zerdy's. Yeah. Uh oh yeah you have you have a final note here before we wrap things up. Essentially, just the whole Inspector Coggins thing felt completely yeah. unnecessary because it's not like we were slowly unraveling a mystery about the guards being in on some of the heists, which I guess they no were, we we knew that, that pretty doesn't... much we knew that pretty quickly. I feel like it was not a mystery. <laughs> that, that yeah, it's same thing like in the uh, the book that we read before this. So like, why give up that mystery quickly and then have this whole plot mm-hmm. line about unraveling it, it when I, it's not like the stuff that Coggins finds out even plays that much into Zerdy's part of the story. So by the end of it, I was like, why did I need to be with Coggins for anything? I don't know. You needed his... you needed to watch a Law and Order commercial every twenty pages. I guess I, that's just what it felt He's like. He's popular to be a very mediocre Sherlock. He he, yeah. he deduces that oh because. 
these guards are over here at this time of evening that that's unusual and therefore there must be some sort of inside job happening which okay sure but why does that play into the whole Zerdi's revenge story other than the fact that that's how he got the pearls Coggins doesn't even like arrest Zerdi's or anything he doesn't no. find out that Zerdi's was the one that did the civil war even though that's not necessarily what Coggins is investigating. Yeah, I, it really felt like a totally unnecessary inclusion. And I, I don't... If you're trying to add complexity, that's not the way to do it, I would say. It, it felt completely separate. And, like, if you had cut that, I wouldn't have lost anything oh, yeah. in the Zerdi mm -hmm. story. Yeah, in fact, I would have been happier because there would have been fewer pages. Yes, <laughs> correct. All right, well, you know, you got to make that page count for remedial D&D, right? So this <laughs> yeah, complete yeah. nonsense B-plot that we're separated from the characters, the only way I could make the, the quote. Yeah, I had to, hit, had to hit 125 or else. Um... You have to take remedial remedial D&D in which they just show you a dice <laughs> and they ask you to name the numbers. They on kick it. you out of Fantasy University College. Uh, all right. So do we, before we uh, move on to the last section, do you, do you have anything else? I, I mean, not really. Okay. I guess the main thing is the, the, the point we brought up earlier, which is, okay, we, this is the author's first work. They didn't intend for it to be published. Okay, so are we moving into Can We Fix It? I suppose, okay. in a way, this is the discussion about the author's oh, age okay. and where okay. we would find that to be acceptable. All right, so let's, yeah, we're going to move into the final section, which is Can We Fix It? Chris, take it away. I, again, for me, I, I since this is uh, explicitly a first work um, and it wasn't meant to be published, I, I feel like my standards are lower same, for same, it in a yeah. way. And that's what brought that kind of discussion into the forefront of my mind about like, okay, what age would this author have to be for me to be like, okay, all right, yeah, you got something going here. Keep going, keep trying. And not like, you know, if you're too old and you write something crappy, like you should never write again. That's not the point either. Everyone's a student of something all the time in their life. But I, it's the publishing part mm -hmm. and also taking into, the, into account that this person is a media reviewer on top of that. Oh, right. Yeah, that's true. I think I think that was the other tidbit that we found out. So I get, you know, if... It's really the sell the publishing part of this that I would have left out. I don't think if you want to fix this, you have to really start getting in there and weaving together some of the plots like Inspector Coggins and Zerdi's plotline a little bit more so that there's something interesting there. Give us a little bit more color in the characters there, which feels like some real basic advice that you'd give to someone that did this to just again prove that they could finish a work. As a teacher of music, you know, I encounter this all the time with, like, my child students or people that are recording themselves or, like, writing for the first time or, like, doing covers or something like that. It's kind of weird to group them together. But all of them, you kind of have to, as a teacher, you know, put keep that in mind and say, like, okay, they're not going to be perfect. Mm -hmm. So you just want them to do it, A, to just get over the fear of, like, I have to do this thing. It, it's going to be hard. Yes, it is. So just doing one thing at the start just to prove that you can is worth doing so this was worth doing if the author wants to do more writing yeah um i commonly encourage students to like you know just basically take the structure of another song 
and copy the structure, use your own riffs or whatever, but like, you know, oh, it starts with the guitar and then the drums and the bass come in. So like at that same measure, you would put in the drums and the bass or, you know, something like that as a way to get started and like relying on the cliche chord progressions just to do something and put it together. Then once you understand that basic sort of structure, then you can start elaborate, elaborating upon it because now you've already done the groundwork to know that you can do that and then you can put your own interesting twist on it based on your own personal likes and dislikes what you'd like to see maybe some feedback from some friends things like that so i guess with can we fix it uh generally this is a decent first drafted attempt at a story with a rough outline but you would have to really go in here and make a lot of other passes or perhaps just use the tools that you gained here yeah and refine them in a completely different story. Yeah, for sure. Um, I agree with you. I would say this was a good exercise in like trying to get trying to get a story out, but I totally feel the same way. It would need a full rewrite in a different style with a more interesting plot. Um, the writing needs to be tightened up, less resilience on, or excuse me, less reliance on thesaurus acrobatics and punishing the reader with descriptions and more of a focus on concise descriptions placed where it best serves the narrative paired with some real insight into your characters. Uh, I think a narrowing of scope would help too. If you're writing a short novella like this of about 130 pages, you can get more investment from the reader by focusing on a shorter period of time or specific incident. So, you know, in this case, we mean cut the cog and shit. Um, this tries to cover way too much in too little time. You end up thinning the broth here instead of enriching it. Less water, more potatoes, more spice. You know, don't and just don't include female characters only to be sexualized props to propel your story with sex and violence against them. It's just not a great device, and it's, it's done way too often. Um, yeah. Yeah. Nice hint. Just think of your characters as genderless as you start to write the outline of the plot, unless for some reason the gender really does play into the type of story that you're yeah, writing. Yeah, and if and that if might it, help you write a better female character. Yeah, and if it does, you know, maybe don't don't lean on sex and and violence to characterize them because there's a lot of that in the regular world and it's just a shitty like tropey stereotype that i don't know w people who are women are you know uh i don't know varied <laughs> and and nuanced <laughs> you turns know? out they're different <laughs> yeah we we people too uh anyway <laughs> uh, anyhow yeah so you know oh Good, good first try in terms of just getting the elements of a story out. But yeah, this should, I don't think this should have been published. I don't get why. I don't get what yeah, was going on go there. Go back to the drawing board. It's great that you finished. A, I mean, I feel great whenever I just finished oh, a yeah, project sure. or a song. There's plenty of songs that I haven't put out because I was like, okay. I mean, I tried some new technique or like, you know, a new instrument or synth or a way to use an instrument. And it, it sounded okay, but not good enough necessarily to put out there. And that's fine. That's part of the process. I yeah. Feel like. I mean, if I had finished, if I finished a book, I'd, I'd feel pretty proud of myself. You know, I, I don't know that I would agree to have it published, but then again, I mean, I don't know if this author like needed a buck and some publisher was like, Hey, we'll, we'll pay you money. I, I might be like, I don't know. This is my greatest work, but money though, Chris, it's always sure. capitalism under the hood, isn't it? Like right? it's always the, yes, the villain. It's just, like that's the reason that people, I mean, think of how many like AI written 
uh, Amazon short reads are going to be happening now as a way to make a quick buck just to flood the market with more terrible crap oh. here. It's always because, you know, the the need to survive and to make a buck somehow is why a lot of this stuff happens. Of course, there are some true terrible artists out there, out there for the terrible art. Like, right? They, like, the money's not an object. They're there to just write what they really perceive as being a great work. <laughs> and that's the special stuff. Um, In terms of uh, internet like MLM book scams. Boy, do I have a fun video for you all if you haven't seen it yet. Uh, there is a YouTube channel that I find wonderful. Uh, it is called, oh, wow, uh, Folding Ideas. And there is a video called Contrepreneurs, the Mickelson Twins, uh, by Dan Olson, the person who runs Fold the Folding Ideas channel. It is a beautiful and bizarre takedown of these guys who have conned people into believing that they can sort of write fake books and make a bunch of money on them on the internet. It's it's really fascinating, especially if you're a book nerd. I would I would check that out. <laughs> All right. Well, highly recommend. I am. I you know with my with my thiefly cowl, I am going to slink off into the long moonlight. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Before before we do that, we should thank the patrons before all out war breaks out on the terrible streets of terrible. No, I'll just drop each so. patron into the flames, and we can say, "Oh well, patrons don't matter," <laughs> and then leave. Okay, yeah. Back to your hovels, please. Thank you, Greg, Veronica, Will, D, Jared, Arant, Senia, Jakub, Lycoris, Elliot, Kieran, Martin, Luchek, Miri, Yanka, David, Anya, Patricia, Austin, Donnie, Beast with the Least, Scott H., Robin, Lactodes, Of the Void, The Taco-Eating Unicorn, Last Man on Earth 01, Funny Robot with Antennas, Hobbyboy93, Harry, Renee, Emmy, The Ugly One, Bleached Black Cat, Julius the Nice Dragon, and our Kofi donor, Kiwi Thing. Extra special thanks to Arant, who I guess got this book as some kind of reward for the heist that they pulled and then tossed into the river onto the top of our heads because we're at the bottom of the river as the terrible uh, to, book club. That's where we Terriblo brought it to our to our humble shores. Uh, yes, thank you, Arant, for recommending this. We really appreciate the short recommendation too. Awesome. Really, really great. <laughs> thank yes, you. Thank you very much. <laughs> thanks for supporting the show, and we hope to read something that you recommend next year. All right, Paris, I'm going to go back to uh, my remedial D&D studies. I, I'm going to fail this class, and I'm going to have to, like, retake the whole semester. Uh, I already spent $800 on the required D20s oh. for the class. I can't do it again, man. They're, they're going to release, like, a new edition. It's going to be, like, sixth edition remedial D&D, and I have to buy the whole new player's handbook and everything like that. I hate that shit. I mean, you could just go to the library and, like, borrow, you know, borrow the books from there. Oh fuck! The li- I forgot about the library. Well, while they still See, exist, that's why you have the before they're outlawed <laughs> by every conservative legislature uh, in each state. That's which... true. That's why you have the high end score, Paris, and that's why you like footnotes. And I'm a dummy <laughs> that can't stand you're, them. You're not dumb for not liking footnotes. <laughs> it's okay. Oh, anyway, all right. All right, we'll catch you guys later. Bye. All right, off into the night I go. Thank you for listening to another episode of Terrible Book Club. Terrible Book Club is an independent podcast produced by your hosts, Paris and Chris. Sound design and audio editing by Chris, with sound effects and music by Epidemic Sound and sometimes also Chris. Our theme song is Kiss by Yearn, which is, you guessed it, actually, also Chris. You can find more of his soothing synthy sounds on Bandcamp at yearn.bandcamp.com.
Do you want us to review a book of your choice on the show? Do you want access to some extra audiovisual weirdness? If so, become a patron at patreon.com slash terriblebookclub. If you'd like to send us a one-time tip instead, you can do that at ko-fi.com slash terriblebookclub. You can also support TBC for free by sharing the show on social media, following our accounts on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or Goodreads, telling your friends about your favorite episode, or by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or anywhere else on the internet. To send us book recommendations or your adorable pet photos, send an email to terriblebookclub at gmail.com.